0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the meaning of life and such. I'm your host Haya Caps, and I try to chip away at the question of who we are, why we're all here and what it all means. If that sounds a little bit vague, then well, you try coming up with a better description of what this is all about. Um, notes on a postcard, please. In any case, Here's our new deep dive into life, the universe, and everything. Let's roll tape. So, welcome to another episode of The Meaning of Life and Such. Um, I am joined by a wonderful friend of mine who I've known in a number of guises. We first met working together, and... My guest in work mode is a very different (laughs) person (laughs) than my guest in not work mode. But I think right from the first time we met, I I realized there was something really powerful in the way she sees the world. And so I'm very delighted to have her on the podcast. Um, Sonia, what's your name? What pronouns do you use? And uh, where in the world are you? My name
1: is Sonia Krasovic, although, you know, it's one of those things that i'm not really sure i associate with my last name much or anymore i'm in london at the moment but i'm constantly on the road mostly in europe these days because of covid but i lived in us for a long time so i'm delighted to be on this podcast with you
0: awesome and what pronouns do you use she her awesome yeah i i like to throw that one in as kind of a you know to not assume anything. <laughs> uh, so I love to ask one question of all my guests to set things off, just so people have a little bit of a context for how we know each other, which is, when did we first meet and what was your first memory of me?
1: I first met at work at Channel 5, many, many years ago, I'm not even sure now.
0: 2006, 2007, maybe, Something I think. like that, yeah. I'm not even gonna attempt
1: to guess. Um it's funny how you said me in a work mode was very different than me in a personal mode. I think me now is same in both modes. I don't distinguish between the two. But back then, for sure, I don't think back then I knew I could show up at work as myself. And I think we had this amazing connection from the first time we met. I remember our long conversations over coffee and they were not all about work <laughs> from what I remember, mm-hmm. but yes, I really yeah.
0: enjoyed yeah, fun. having a friend. <laughs> it was so much fun because, I mean, I think that was the first job where between you and me and Vicky and me and a few other people we worked with, you and that was the first yeah. time where I felt like I could show up a little bit with a little bit of me at work. And now I've gone, I've done the same as you, where I I bring my full self to every situation, which, you know, scares some people, you know, I am like, no, I will have emotions. I will be fully present also at work. Mm. And I feel like that's something, something really beautiful when that happens, uh, when you're able to be a full whole person. And, you know, given that we are talking about the purpose of life and the meaning of life, I think there is something in there of, you know, daring to not be filtered and daring to not be, well, just just to be yourself. I guess the first part of that is figuring out who you are in the first place.
1: (laughs) And allowing for that to change, you know, from day to day, from month to month, not assuming that you are now one fixed thing again. I think a lot of what we are discussing has to do with not just our trauma that we have all been through, but also our individual and collective stories that we participated for so long that they find us. Mm-hmm. And it's those stories that we didn't know how to let go. And in those stories, we played roles and we identified with those roles. And yeah, so, you know, you would dress in the morning and show up at work as a work version of yourself and then go meet your friends and then, you know, go on social media and, you know, before you know it, you are, feeling a bit schizophrenic (laughs) you don't know who you are anymore right yeah totally and it's just incredible to see how much energy we have used to maintain all those different roles and personalities and how much we went and defended a lot of that because it had to do with the story that had to break apart at some point
0: yeah yeah and i feel like that breakdown piece is actually important you know you if you if you if you if you buy a property with a house on it and you want to build a new house, you've got to take the old house down. It's one of those things <laughs> where it's just. Uh... And this
1: is something that no one really talks about, right? Right. It's not something that anyone talks about. You're just supposed to, you know, even in spiritual community, right? If you follow similar people that I follow, there is always this vibe of they're on some sort of amazing spiritual retreat and they all do yoga and they're all flexible and enlightened and look amazing. And And I don't know, for me, it was anything but like that.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I, no, expect- I was a pile of snot and tears.
1: Yes, and I still am m- most of the time. So, And that's normal.
0: And I think we need to start talking about that. Yeah. Well, here we are talking about it. I think that was actually... The first time I really took notice of you was in exactly that kind of circumstance where <clears throat> you were a program manager, right? And so you were yeah. like hard-nosed, hardcore uh, <laughs> boss lady of like amazing proportions. But then I realized, wait a minute, there is this, at the time I thought of this mom energy. Like this, this caring and this, but that extended not just to others, that extended to yourself too. Mm. And I think I was like, huh, wait a minute, that's possible. That's a thing somebody can be. And I think the reason I really wanted you on this podcast is that I think, I don't think we really ever had a conversation about this, but that was something that I immediately noticed. And you became a role model for me in that sense, where I was just like, Hey, wait a minute. I can, I can be the, the, the hard-nosed bastard when I need to be, when I need to get something done. But that's not the only way. You can also get things done in other ways and you can mm. show up in full presence. Um, and I know a little about your journey since then, <laughs> which has <laughs> been relatively epic. Um, and I guess what I would like to know is uh, what what is the driver? Like, how did you know that this was something you needed to do for yourself?
1: Mm, that's a good question. Well, there was no one else so it was me, right, Uh and, you know, at the time we met, I was still married, but very shortly after that, I was still at Channel 5, my, you know, married life completely disintegrated, and I ended up being a single mom to two children in London, trying to, you know, put food on the table, and deal with everything that you deal with as a single parent and there was a lot from you know kids dealing with divorce to my daughter being depressed and really going through some hard teenage stuff and mm. and trying to find energy to you know and time for myself as well was really important it's not something that came naturally to me because from early age I was conditioned to be a parent to someone I was parent before I had kids So for me, that archetype of a mother, I think this is what I identified for so long. And I think you sense that Uh in, in our working relationship as well. And so finding ways to carve some time and energy for myself and not feeling guilty about it and not feeling like I'm selfish was a very big part of my journey. Allowing for that, you know, for that time and space, dealing with my guilt over it, prioritizing myself. And what was incredible is that everything changed as a result. Not only some people, of course, left my life. (laughs) I think that's a natural part of the journey. But my kids, you know, you would think if I focus on myself that somehow I'm going to take away from them. And it was the opposite. I just gave in a better way. I became a better model of how you could take care of yourself and not feel bad about it. And and what's okay to do and what's not okay to do. And being that hard-ass you know, person who is on top of everything really sends a bad example to kids. Yeah, yeah, because it know, turns out parents. One thing, yeah, but if you can't, know what they do some of the time.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah,
1: if you can't fall apart in front of your kids, if you can't tell them how you really feel, then you're setting an example of someone who is, you know, stoic on top of everything that no one can measure up, and no one wants to or should ever measure up to. And I think my daughter especially struggled because of. That probably my unwillingness to share everything I've been going through, thinking that's a way to protect them and, you know, take care of them. But it's the
0: opposite. That's beautiful. Was there like a single moment where you felt like that had to change? Or was it like just a felt sense that over time you were kind of Going down I the think there track. are
1: many moments and uh, many, many years of, you know, therapy and work on myself. But then there was one moment. Uh, I was in New York five, six years ago and um, everything looking outside was perfect. You know, I was in this amazing job, uh, earning a lot of money, living in Tribeca in this incredible love you know, a dream lifestyle, you know, winning awards for my work and but I was working seventeen hours a day. I didn't have a single minute of time to, you know, go to a gym or do anything for myself. I would put my son to sleep and then work until two, three AM. Never I don't think I slept for years really. And then my daughter dropped out of school and things at work started to unravel because we were going through another reorganization and I started working with executive coach and kind of all of those things melted into one moment of, Hey, wait, this doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. Where am I in this whole story? And how can I be the mother I want to be if I can't take care of myself properly, if I'm focusing too much on work and I decided to stop. And so I walked away from everything from a job, from a career, from, the apartment, and I decided to really focus on on figuring out who I was and keep in mind, I was forty six at the time. It's not really you know, and still a single mother who is financially responsible for those two kids and mm-hmm. a lot to deal with and I think it was a really courageous decision, and I'm so grateful that I found support that I needed at the time to to embark on that journey,
0: yeah. And I feel like uh, in all of this, you, the, the thing that I heard that shouted at me just now was you kind of lost yourself in this. Yeah. And this is actually one of the recurring themes of this podcast. I feel like, like figuring out the meaning of life or figuring out a track where you can figure out the meaning of life is for me often related to the sense of self, like who is the I, who am I in all of this? Um, Did your sense of self shift or change in this process? Complete. And it continues to shift and change. You know, you can
1: see behind me, I started to paint three months ago for the first time in my life. I had no clue that I could. (laughs) And so that's what I'm doing pretty much full time at the moment. But Yes, my sense of self, my sense of who I want to be in the world, how I want to show up, of what's important to me, what my values are. All of that shifted and continues to shift. And I think that's the journey. That's the journey that we don't quite realize when we embark on a journey because we think it's one question or one big answer. And it's not. Yeah. If I just figure out my work life, I'm going to be fine. (laughs) It turns out. (laughs) And I want to mention something because I think it's important. Yeah, I loved my job. I wasn't miserable in my job. You know, you have people who are miserable in their jobs or in in the role that is just not suited for them. This was the best job I ever had. Like I excelled at it. I loved every minute of it. It was super creative. It produced amazing results. I loved my team, and still. It wasn't even that I lost the sense of myself. I think it's realization that I never quite figured out who I was. Mm. Beside the story of the role that was assigned to me by my parents, by the society, by the family, by, you know, this need to achieve and search and find something. And then you finally arrive as, you know, Alan Watt said, and you're like, what, this is it? Yeah. (laughs) Is this what I've been working towards? Like, you know, this need for something deeper, for a deeper meaning for, was there. And it wasn't satisfied by a job, not even children. I have to say that, you know, I, I love my children dearly, but, you know, they're not the answer either.
0: And so I get a sense that you have a pretty clear feeling of what you're moving away from. Do you know what you're moving toward?
1: I think I, that sense is emerging. I really didn't want to force it. There were a couple of, you know, false starts for the last mm-hmm. 5 years. I started two different businesses. I moved, I traveled a lot, I invested in many various projects. I attended every single course there was, you know, from poetry and spirituality to coaching and reiki and certified reiki uh, healer. So, I think that exploration was really important. I think breaking apart was crucial Mm -hmm. because for you to create space for something new, you really need to let go of all the stories that you're holding. And Mm -hmm. that work is ongoing. I mean, over the summer I had such incredible hard time. You know, it's that moment of, I thought I already dealt with all the shit and it's now coming up and it's deeper and it's coming up with more vengeance and, I had some pretty dark moments in August that were very close to, do I even want to be here for the first time in my life? And that was okay. And that was okay for the first time. That was okay. My ability to hold that darkness, to embrace it was phenomenal. And I think this is what I have been running away my whole life. And so I think not to go from, you know, Just the positive, optimistic light, you know, this perception of happiness that we have been fed up so badly. But to be able as humans to hold both extremes, dark and light within ourselves, and then to allow that for others, is why we are here. And so I think what's emerging for me is need to be surrounded by people like yourself, to, you know, build communities, to work on all these massive problems that we have Mm -hmm. in some sort of a co-creative capacity, bringing our holistic selves and exploring what future could look like, really, you know, bringing our imagination and our dreamlike capabilities and our playfulness to see what else can we create that's not what the system wants us to believe is the only possibility
0: yeah i keep i keep looking at the same pieces again and again you just mentioned that as well like the same stuff keeps coming up i have done so much work with my therapist about the bullying i suffered as Mm -hmm. a kid and um i recently did some ketamine therapy which is something that's fda approved these days and it's actually legal and possible with my therapist and Like as I went into this journey, it was mostly Mm nonverbal,
2: but
0: there was like a little voice on my shoulder that kept saying, look at the bullying, look at the bullying. And I was like, nah, I've dealt with this. I don't need to do this again. I'm fine. I'm good. Mm -hmm. Look at the bullying. Look at the bullying. No, no, no. I'm good. I don't have to look at this. Look at the bully. And I was like, you again, motherfucker. I thought I was done with you. And then I turned towards it and I had one of the biggest breakthroughs I have ever had in my life. And it keeps being this recurring topic where we chip off this little block again and again and again, until I was finally able to look at some of the shame in that, which I'd never done before. I only looked at the bullying itself, not at the impact it had on me. My God, Sonia, it was so powerful. So powerful. I know. And again, it's that piece of, you know, sometimes you just have to smash it to dust and then Rebuild it, and then you figure out what actually emerges from the things you need to work on.
1: And if it keeps coming back, that means we are not done with it. It still has a message for us, it still has learning that we haven't embraced fully. And so we just need to, you know, surrender to it and accept it and, you know, find in ourselves, you know, gratitude because those are the lessons, those are the, you know, gurus, our triggers and not something to run away from, something to really embrace and sit with and not even try to solve necessarily. I think we are so preconditioned to be in that mode of solving and fixing all the time. I don't think we even know how to ask a good question. And so for me, that learning loop is almost finding the right question. Once we find the right question, the question that we are holding, that the answers are almost I- irrelevant. You know, They come on their own, they're effortless. But we want to skip the hard work of identifying the question, sitting with it, seeing what else
0: comes. We are so good at shortcuts. Yes. I mean, I keep doing that. I keep wanting to find the shortcut. I'm like, yeah, if I just eat the right cookie, if I just Mm. go to the right guru, if I just learn the right yoga pose, everything (laughs) is going to be fine. (laughs) Turns out, funny story. (laughs) It doesn't always work that way. In fact, it really works that way.
1: Honestly, I think when I started, because I was so eager to, you know, do this, and this is me, this is how I am by nature, you know, very eager and ambitious, I'll give you that. And so I think I had six or seven healers on a speed dial in Brooklyn, and I was going from one session to another, sometimes multiple sessions in the same day. You're like, am I healed yet?
0: (laughs) Yeah, kind of thinking if I do more, it's going to be quicker, right? Mm Well I think that that is the fallacy right where you end up doing all this work and you're just exhausted all the time. It's like you forget in all this self-care you forget the self-care
1: You forget how to have fun and how to you know do things that are you know totally things you like you know it's that innate childlike capacity that we all have to you know just dance in the kitchen while we cook or play or you know whatever. Yeah yeah this becomes work and you can't do any other work because it's taking so much of your energy that Mm -hmm. it's the full-time job right
0: i've been doing this full-time for about two months now and you know i'm running out of money soon Mm. my health insurance will run out i have lots of like fear around that and every time i think about okay maybe i should not do this for a while i'm like no dude you've got you have the immense privilege of being able to be unemployed for a few months to fucking do yeah. the work
1: i've been doing this almost full time for 5 years you know with pockets of work here and there when i need work yeah in order to sustain myself but this has been my project and it has changed everything and i i'm not gonna apologize for it i'm beyond grateful i know how privileged i am to have been able to do this But I know many other people who are more privileged than me who wouldn't, you know, think about doing this type of work because it's too scary. So Mm
2: -hmm.
1: I think we have a responsibility to others to really do this because we are so focused on fixing the world, and there are all these amazing social impact projects that are, you know, you know, growing all around us. But if we don't do this work, then we just continue to add toxicity back to the world. And I would rather do nothing. fix the world but ensure that I don't add shit personally Mm. in every sense of that world first then you know go and focus on the big picture I struggled last year with COVID and you know this sense of identity that I had to do with the work and I was just starting this new project and then COVID stopped all of that and I was working with an amazing uh, coach at the time and, and a teacher Margaret Wheatley you probably heard of her and we were having one-to-one session and I was explaining and I was saying, you know, I'm not doing anything, you know, I'm spending all my time with my son and we are cooking and playing, but you know, I want to be doing stuff. And she said, and why do you think this is not doing like, you're mm-hmm. taking care of a human during this crisis. You're taking care of yourself. You're preparing good meals. You're helping your neighbors, your father. Why is that not enough? And it really stopped me in, in my tracks. You know, this ambition we have to be focused on the outside world.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Why is this not enough? Why are we not putting value to these most important roles that we are being asked to play? Why yeah. is being a good neighbor or a good friend or a good son or a good mother enough?
0: When you're right? saying that, there's two little things that spring to mind for me. One is the uh, what they refer to as the... Um, the campground principle, you know, leave things better than you found them. And it mm-hmm. doesn't mean if you get to a messy campground, you have to leave it's pristine, just pick up one piece of trash, you yeah. know, and I feel like that is a really powerful way to go. And as I'm going through this journey, I'm actually posting a lot of it on Facebook. And I have some doubts about w- whether or not that's a good idea. But this is my little way of saying, hey, guys, it seems that a lot of people think I have my shit together. Mm. You know, I've had some fun jobs. I've written some books. I, I seem like I have my shit together. And here I am in the, up to my neck in mess. Mm. And I feel like even if I just put that out there as like a, hey, quick reminder, folks, you know, I am going through this. If you're going through this, that's fine. It's like the, it's the only piece that I can contribute right now. But I hope it helps someone. Like if if one person sees that and thinks it's okay to work on myself or it's okay to get a shrink or it's okay to occasionally fall apart, great.
1: I think that's beautiful and I'm grateful you're doing it. And I've been trying to do a lot of that as well. And not just on social media, but, you know, the last few years I've been sharing a lot of my journey mm-hmm. in corporate settings at conferences where you wouldn't think people talk about things like that. Mm-hmm. And what I have learned is people actually want to, talk about this. They don't want to talk about innovation and growth and tools and processes anymore. They don't want to talk about how they feel in all these roles in corporate setting, how hard it is to have this split personality and how hard it is not to be able to show up. And I think it takes someone to share first for people Mm -hmm. to open up and say, okay, it's safe. I can show up as myself as well. Yeah. And so I think we have responsibility to share. We are not doing this work just for ourselves, right? Everything we learn, we are giving back to to our communities by sharing, and hopefully yeah. encouraging others to to do the same.
0: Yeah, totally. And I think there's something in there of reminding yourself that there's humanity in all of this. Like when you show up at a conference and you and you bring your full self, it's it's that piece, right? And I'm I'm starting to discover that there's humanity in the most obscure of places you know of course it's going to be humanity at a yoga retreat right that's what we Mm. do that's how we there but finding humanity in a supermarket when when you notice somebody's having a breakdown and you ask if they need help finding humanity in pornography right there there is porn that absolutely shouldn't exist on the internet but there is porn that has real like real like love in it and real eroticism and finding humanity in 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 the weirdest little corners of the world. And I'm like, okay, yeah, there there are these little flowers that are trying to break through the, the, the asphalt. And that's all you can try, right? Be that little flower that tries to bust its way through the asphalt.
1: It's everywhere around us. It's in conflict zones. You know, you have amazing stories that are emerging from places where, you know, war is happening and people are coming together and helping each other. It's you know finding that humanity with someone you don't agree on any single question, you know mm-hmm. this is what we need to do. This is what the job is. It's easy to agree with people who think like us, who look like us, but extending that
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know safety to people who we don't disagree, we don't agree on, yeah, who are very different.
0: I had this beautiful conversation with a friend the other day who is a, uh, who is a conservative. And I said to him, I was like, mate, you're probably the only conservative I like. And he, his reply was like, well, I don't like a lot of them either. And I was like, okay, cool. (laughs) We're on the same page here. But it's funny. I mean, there are some people that are, that are able to show up like that, right. Who, even if you, as you say, even if they disagree with you on absolutely everything, they have this humanity about them and this sense of, you know, I don't agree with how they want to help, but they really want to help. And I think that that is a really attractive quality in a human being.
1: But I think it comes from us healing the trauma inside. You know, I have this theory that everyone who is showing up in our life, whether it's, you know, a politician or a boss that we disagree or a lover that, you know, has hurt us, they're all messengers. You know, they're all mirrors reflecting something that we need to learn. And it's easier to see it through someone else. And so if you're willing to take that approach, then we know that if you are triggered, it's because there is still something unhealed in us. It's not the other person, right? It's so much easier to blame someone else. Totally. But I think once you overcome those triggers, it's easier to listen, right? Yeah. It's easier to have a conversation. We can leave at the end of the conversation and still disagree on everything. Totally but we can at least as humans come to the table and have a dialogue and who knows maybe through that dialogue we learn something about ourselves about the other about you know a new possibility we haven't been aware of a healer asked me a few years ago the most important question probably in my healing process she said is it more important to you that you are right in your relationships or that you're in those relationships, right? Mm. And if it's more important that you're right, then you can't have relationships, not the relationships that we want to have. And that's the thing. You know, once we start to listen, we create space for something new to be created in that relationship too. You know, we allow Ah, the other person to show up too. Not as we expected, not to fulfill some fantasy or story that we had growing up,
0: but Mm -hmm. to show up as they are. Yeah, there's a there's an old Zen koan that is you know don't mistake the finger pointing at the moon for the moon, Mm. and I feel like there is something to that where sometimes so I'm currently exploring polyamory and being in several full romantic relationships and this is the first time that I've really run into jealousy as a thing, and the jealousy is the finger pointing at the moon. Right, jealousy isn't the problem. The problem is what what was triggered in me. And often it's abandonment issues. Sometimes it's, you know, there are deep, deep shit that I keep bumping into. Of course. And as soon as I learned to think of jealousy as a as a finger pointing at a problem, I started making incredible progress. Because there's something in there, right? There's your body is is jumps into this emergency response. And you're like, oh mm-hmm. wait, hey, there's something worth worth looking at there. And it's been, it's been such a teacher.
1: This is the thing, you know, that our bodies already have all the answers that we need. We just don't know how to listen. I honestly think sometimes, you know, the people, guides, call them whatever you want, kind of waving at me, it's, you know, kind of getting to my face and I don't see anything because I'm running some story in my head. And as a result, can't recognize what's so obvious in front of me, Yeah. but our bodies are never wrong. You know, those little clues, those little pains that we have in various parts, they're always there for a reason. And so if you learn how to listen to our bodies, yeah. you learn how to recognize those micro learnings, then that's something.
0: Spoken like a true Reiki practitioner there. <laughs> <laughs> but I also think, I mean, it takes a lot to recognize what your body is trying to tell you, right? I feel like bodies my body i'm not going to generalize my body is incredibly unsophisticated it's it knows to do you know the 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 four f- responses it knows to fly it knows to flee it knows to uh fight it knows to freeze and it knows to farm those are my only responses really and from those responses learning something from my body or sorry those are the only responses i know how to recognize i should say mm-hmm. from those responses um it's sometimes really hard to extract learning. It just knows something is wrong. It's like, cool, thanks, buddy. Do, uh, do, can you be more eloquent? Could you write this down for me, please? Uh, and that's been really hard. And I think actually doing uh, medith- uh, medicine-based therapy has been incredibly powerful there because it is all nonverbal and because I can actually replay feelings in my body. Mm. Like I had an enormous, enormous breakthrough when I recognized that, my very first panic attack was when I was about 12 or 13 and I only recognized it like last week. So I was able to replay yeah. something like a memory. And I was like, Oh, I understand why I re- responded that way because I was having a fucking panic attack. It was okay for me to run away mm. because that was the right response in, in the moment. And it's, it's been one of those things of list of learning to speak body has <laughs> been
1: hard. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. But this is what the journey is about. It's going back, relearning, or connecting the dots for the first time, right? Mm -hmm. Because when those original traumas happened, we didn't know how to recognize what was going on. Mm -hmm. We went into story, or we avoided, or we separated from that part of ourselves, and went into complete denial, whatever the the language of the family was, right? And so going back and recognizing it and begging it and saying, okay, now I know that's a reference for next time. So I know now. I think part of this journey is, as Krishnamurti nicely said, there comes a point where there are no more reference points. Mm. And there is no guru, there is no yoga teacher, there is no healer, a therapist who can tell you what the journey looks like for for you. Mm -hmm. So you need to learn what those signs look like for you. Because we are all on individual journeys, you know, that of course there are a lot of commonalities, but you can't live mine and I can't live yours. And so we need to learn those signs. This is, you know, I wish, I wish kids are learned this at school, are taught this at school. It will be so more beneficial than all the crap they're learning at the moment, right? Yeah. Because this is the thing, you know, if you are having how functioning adults running the planet who don't know how to recognize these little signs for themselves. Mm -hmm. That's quite tragic. This is why we're in the mess we are in.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to pivot pivot this to us politics, but I think I know what you're talking about. (laughs) Oh goodness. Yeah. Fair. Yeah. So are you any closer to figuring out what your purpose is? Um,
1: I think I stopped putting pressure on myself because that also became a big, oh my God, why is it still not happening? I've been doing all this work. Where are the bloody answers? Yeah. And I think I'm relaxing more into, I know a lot of things are happening and changing for me at the moment. There seems to be like, you know, a big shift in terms of how I live and where I want to live and how I want to live. And so I just want to trust that that's going to unfold in a way it needs to unfold for me. Mm -hmm. But I think in terms of purpose, I think it's learning that just enjoy life, one, much more, and be playful and learning how I can give back to others in whatever shape and form that looks like. So it's not Mm -hmm. about me. It's about helping and being of service. And then, as I said, building those communities where we can work and live together that's kind of the the dream if Mm. i can get there
0: that has come up for me so many times now the community living community working community i have this regular set of conversations with with one friend in particular who keeps sending me links to um to like abandoned summer camps it's like we could buy Mm. this the two of us could buy this and we could spend you know it already has like 19 cabins on it We could collect all our humans here it's got a huge communal Mm -hmm. kitchen and every time she sends me one of those i'm like yeah i feel this incredible draw towards that and i think the only reason why i haven't done that yet is that i fear that people won't come that me and her you know we're friends but we're not like life partners or anything like me and Harry will be stick stuck on this summer camp in the middle of fucking nowhere in the middle of America somewhere and go, well, now what? (laughs) And it takes, it takes, it takes a risk, right? I, I, I have to be surrounded with people who are crazy enough is not the right phrase, but are open enough to be Mm -hmm. willing to uproot their entire lives to have enough faith in this to really go for it. And I, you know, it seems like such a big gamble and it's stopping me from doing it.
1: I don't know. I'm at the point in my life, I'm just about to make a gamble. So I think we have nothing to lose.
0: So you're saying you're going to join our cult?
1: (laughs) I'm going to jump. I'm going to jump. I'm not even going to ask Mm -hmm. how and how far and what. I think that's the only way, you know, we overthink, we overanalyze our reference point, our filters are all wrong they're all so deeply embedded mm-hmm. in the system and we can't see you know tree from the or whatever the metaphor is so i think we need to jump and we need to surround ourselves by others who are on this path as we are and who are willing to work on these big massive problems you know Mm -hmm. kind of have this dream of us working on you know whatever it is education climate but in a setup that we haven't tried before with a shaman and a healer and environmentalist and a scientist and you know psychologist it doesn't really matter Artists, I think we need everyone
0: really add, add know, a couple of to... Michelin star chefs to that list and Absolutely, you've got it <laughs> you know,
1: and we need to be singing and dancing and painting and you know I think there is something about non-verbal communication that is so important to me when I started to paint I was like okay now 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 I can communicate in a different way Mm -hmm. And it's really important because words have been overused and they have meanings that are all wrong and that are, you know, predefined by something, you know, we all use the same words. We all mean different things. It's really hard to find a common ground anymore. And so I'm really interested in exploring how we can communicate in a different way. That's not necessarily through words only. I think there is something there. And I think we just need space to imagine, to dream where we are not limited by what the system is telling us is possible, you know? When you look at our COVID response globally, it's been pathetic, absolutely pathetic, you know? Bunch of middle-aged guys who can't think of anything creative, right? And who are surrounded themselves with the same. Yeah. Same, same, same. And so hence we have this crisis that's going on and it's going to continue to go on. And we are not even aware of the consequences on our mental health on mental health or our kids. Yeah. But I think we have this opportunity. I, I was sharing last week, I feel like we are in between two different worlds at the moment. You know, you can mm-hmm. feel and see the crack in the mirror. And in that crack, you kind of see the old system that's dying and you see something new, it's emerging. And that crack is giving me hope, you know, that we are seeing both at the same time, which means both are possible. Mm -hmm. And I think we need to use that. We need to use that and we need to find courage. And so whatever crazy dream you have, just call me. I'm there.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, there is a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. Um, There is something really interesting. You just mentioned language. And I think I have actually, as a writer, obviously I have a decent command of language in general. And I have definitely felt that thing where we are butting up against a point where we're at a point of like diminishing returns. Language has become so precise, but it means such different things for different people. And because a lot of this this work is happening for me in English... What I'm butting up against is that some of the really smart thinkers just don't have English as a first language. You know It's my third language, it's your second mm-hmm. language. Yeah. Right? And we're here having this conversation in English, because, you know, my audience is English, uh, And you know, I don't, I don't expect you to speak any of my other languages, and I don't think <laughs> yours. But I also think there's something incredibly limiting about it, because I recently had the re- uh, recognition that a dictionary is actually a fractal like every word can be looked up in the dictionary and every word has specific definitions, but also multiple meanings and multiple definitions. Mm -hmm. And it's layered in with our cultural understanding and it's laid in with our worked, with our lived experience and where we're from. You know, British English isn't American English, California Mm -hmm. English isn't Iowa English. And the words we use and the ways we talk, they're only useful up to a point. And you know i I don't know what what nonverbal communication could look like
1: I didn't know, but I think it's important to imagine that it's possible to see what other means we can use to communicate. Mm-hmm. you know just think about how moved we are when we listen to a piece of music or when mm-hmm. we see a painting or when we attend you know a silent performance even right or improv of some sort mm. Mm-hmm or we participate in it, I think there is more freedom almost, right? As long as we are speaking in our heads and we are translating and filtering all the time, I think there is something powerful in opening ourselves to different possibilities. I know when I started to paint, I would paint and then I would cry after. It was like a cycle of a couple of weeks. So these emotions pouring out of me that I didn't know where they were coming from. Mm-hmm. And another example of, really interesting, you know, conversation in terms of languages. I recently started working with a healer in Serbian for the first time in my life. So,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, I left Serbia when I was 23. My whole adult life has been in English speaking countries. I write in English. I speak English all day. I'm forgetting Serbian. I dream in English. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's incredible. And I start working with this guy and He uses one word in Serbian to describe my emotion, Mm -hmm. and it goes right to the center of the trauma. It's like this big needle that's been like pierced through all the layers, right to the spot, and that immediate reaction is, you know, tears.
0: Yeah. Oh my God. Yes.
1: And I can't translate that word to English because English. That's the whole point. Yeah. Yeah, that's the whole point. And so it's incredible. It's incredible to think about how different languages as well. Yeah. How we react to different things, how we react to, you know, sounds, how we react to touch. Oh my God, we didn't even talk about touch and, you know, how important it is, especially now when we have been in isolation for so long and unable to see each other. And
0: And for me, touch is my primary love language, right? I mean, yeah. I need to hug people. It's not just a want; it's a need, mm. with consent and you know, yeah. lots of caveats and stuff. But for no, 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 absolutely. like it is so powerful to just be in connection with someone when you're having a conversation, right? It's not. It doesn't have to be sexual. It doesn't even have to be erotic. But just, just touch. It's just so powerful. Yeah. No. Um, and we forget because it's completely a taboo to touch another human especially a friend or a colleague or a coworker or whatever right and there's lots of reasons why power dynamics could be in place which means that the other person can literally cannot give consent and there's lots of reasons not to touch people yeah but i also think that if we bring our full selves there is a universe where it is possible to have a conversation about hey i'm having a really shitty day are you open to a hug you know mm. and that that is a thing that is possible and that you celebrate a no if you get a no and you know there's lots of you have to be pretty advanced in communication to be able to navigate this but yeah yeah
1: and how how powerful it is to just sit with someone in silence and not talk or to laugh with someone or to you know dance again we don't have to analyze and overthink every single thing i'm very visual by nature so i always had visions, even when I was a child, when I meditate, I see things really in like bright colors with a lot of details. I've done past life regression where I remember details of my previous lives. And now that I paint, I don't see anything. Huh. So how incredible is that? But I feel things. I feel color in my hands. My hands are on fire when I take a brush.
0: That's amazing.
1: And so I'm learning, I'm teaching myself now how to communicate with my hands, how to sense the color in my hand without seeing it. And it's a completely different journey. But I'm willing to go on that journey now. I probably didn't know how to do that years ago. So
0: oh, that's beautiful. I'm experiencing a lot of uh, emotions as textures, you know, the amount of friction, you know, zero friction is a problem because it's too easy. Too much friction is a problem because it just creates lots of heat and it's uncomfortable and it's disgusting and whatever, you know, I have bubbly emotions. I have crisp emotions, I have sharp emotions. Um, and I feel like my, the moment of perfect beauty when I experience it, it's like being in a giant, really soft bubble of just, It isn't frictionless, but it just has this beautiful, in fact, it's like scuba diving. (laughs) Like that feeling of being weightless, but not, of feeling like hugged by the water. It's the beautiful thing about scuba diving, right? You go down 10 meters and you have twice the pressure. It means that the entire universe is hugging you and holding you together. That feeling, when I feel that when I'm in meditation or when Mm. I'm just in deep conversation with someone, it's just like, oh, I'm just held by the universe right now it's beautiful and this is actually the first time i've been able to put words to that so that's amazing <laughs> but that that feeling happens rarely but more and more often and i feel it's me distilling my journey of discovering something i don't know what it means yet but it feels like a way marker it's like yeah keep going this way there's something here that is worth exploring and sitting with
1: I think those happen more and more often when we become comfortable with, with ourselves, when we ex- start to accept ourselves, when we learn how to love. Mm. You know, a lot of this journey is about reparenting ourselves, about learning how to give ourselves what wasn't given originally. And once we do that kind of, you know, vertical journey, then we can do this as well. We can hug the rest of the world, we can feel one with everyone, whoever they are.
0: Sonia, I could talk with you all day long and (laughs) I promise all my guests that I'm going to stay within the hour. So I'm going to keep that promise. Um, I'd like to end on one question, which is do you have like a mantra or a guiding principle that helps you when the going gets tough?
1: I don't think it's one. I think the little, you know, uh, little things that I have learned about myself on this journey and I remind myself of them in my writing, in my meditation. I just connect to that part of myself, remind myself that I got this, I, I know how to do this. And it's not always easy. It's not always easy. And, you know, align yourself not to be okay, not to even, you know, know what those reminders are sometimes is okay too. Mm -hmm. I think you know when we talk about surrender that's surrender not you know looking for a clue not I think why has been the biggest barrier for me because you know I'm so, so inquisitive by nature so curious that I wanted to figure all of this out I wanted answers and sometimes there are no answers you know Sometimes we get our hearts broken and there is no good enough explanation as to why. And that's okay. And we need to learn to let it all go. And sometimes there are no answers. And putting pressure on ourselves to, to be there, to have it all figured out, doesn't help. So I try to be in flow as much as possible and open to it. One of the things I learned is that it's not supposed to be hard and it's not supposed to be efforting early on in the journey i was working with this amazing healer who told me it's you're not supposed to lift a finger that's how it's supposed to feel and so sometimes i remind myself of it's supposed to be easy
0: very zen <laughs> i think the thing i keep coming back to as my it's not a mantra but it's a reminder which is just just breathe like mm. that's all you have to do if you don't know what else to do just breathe or scream <laughs> and it's remarkable. Sure, that's the type of breath. Um, yeah, I think, but I think it's just that. It's like, Haya, you don't, know, you don't know what you're doing. You don't know what you're going through, but you can breathe. You can breathe, can't you? And then I remind myself, yeah, actually, that's the thing I have control over and can do anywhere at any time. On the tube, at my desk, in blind panic when I think I have another existential crisis. I can always breathe.
1: I sometimes remind myself and a couple of weeks ago I was in such a dark place that I kind of needed to do that. I mm-hmm. was obsessing over, you know, th- what I was going through and thinking, is there even purpose to this whole thing? Why I'm doing this to myself? And then I thought, what if today was all that I get? If this day today is, you know, if there is no more, if this day is all I will ever experience, Is this how I want to spend it? And I think sometimes that helps too, you know, again, finding small things that we can really enjoy and have fun doing something that you love, spend time with someone you love, call someone you love. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) You know, we miss all the small moments waiting for a big thing to happen and then Mm -hmm. life passes us by. So I think, It's a good reminder.
0: Thank you. This is wonderful.
1: I feel so much love for you. (laughs)
0: Mm, Likewise.